Hi friend, welcome back to the Life Academy here at First Presbyterian in Bonita Springs. I'm Doug Pratt and we're going to conclude our three-part series posing how to deal with the why questions of life. Those intense and seemingly unanswerable questions that come out of the deepest problems and the deepest sorrows, the frustrations and the pain that we all experience. Oh, how we wish we could manage to get through life for 95 years with no problems. How we wish we could get through all of those decades with no mistakes and blunders we make that cause problems for us, with no one doing anything to us that hurts us, and with no natural problems, natural disasters or illnesses but that's simply not realistic. Nobody gets a free pass. We all have to deal with challenges, unanticipated as well as foreseen, and we've got to do it well, or it will deeply impact and disturb our lives. The reason why we talk about these things, not just when we're in the midst of the storm, but before the storm or between the storms is to prepare us and equip us so that when we have to deal with our own personal suffering and pain, we'll be better equipped to do so and be triumphant and victorious through it. So today we're gonna think about how a Christian deals with the difficulties of life. And we're gonna be thinking about the grief process which is a natural human experience and is not only limited to dealing with death of people we love, family members and close friends, but actually the grief process is the same for all kinds of changes, disruptions, and difficulties in life. People go through grief when they lose physical abilities when you can no longer do something you enjoyed or were used to doing. For example, the great composer Beethoven, as he realized that he was losing his hearing, grieved the loss of that sense, which had given him so much joy in listening to music. We grieve when we move from one place to another, even if we chose that move and we like where we have moved to we will go through some grief of the familiar people and places and things that we have left behind. People grieve when they lose a job. People even, ironically, can grieve, perhaps without acknowledging and recognizing it, when they retire from their career, even though that is seemingly the ultimate paradise that Americans aspire to. The reality is, a job, a career gives you a meaning and a purpose and an identity. And when you lose that, you need to grieve from that and from its loss. We grieve when things happen negatively to our country or to a church that we are a part of. We grieve when someone else makes a poor decision. Perhaps a son or daughter gets a divorce. Perhaps a grandchild um, poorly decides on a relationship or gets involved in um, a substance abuse or drops out of college. We grieve in all of these areas where change occurs that we perceive as negative. The grief process, according to the experts who uh, have studied it, has six stages or steps. Shock, denial, anger, 
bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance, shock. You can't believe it's happened. Denial, refusal to uh, cope and to uh, begin to process. Anger, how dare so-and-so or how dare anyone allow this to happen to me when my life was the way I wanted it to be? Bargaining, is there something I can do to change it or to replace it or to return to the past? Depression, realizing that uh, something has been lost and not knowing how to replace it or how to go forward. And finally, acceptance, which I think should better be called adaption or adaptation because acceptance sounds very passive. Oh, well. But adaptation means you've found a new purpose and a new focus for your life. All of these stages are very normal. But what we need to understand about the grief process is that unlike the nice, simple, neat formula the experts provide of the steps, they do not go in a smooth, orderly progression. But rather, we go back. We loop around again. We think we've made progress and something can send us back. It is a slow process. It is often a long process. It is a personal process and it is unique to each individual. Nobody can tell another person how long it should take or how quickly you should move through the grieving nor what you should feel at any stage because it is so personal and so individual and yet to recognize that the human mind and the human psyche needs to process and work through the grief is important for us. It gives us a perspective that we're not going crazy, that we're, we're not unique, that everybody else has grieved at some point. In fact, every human being will probably multiple times in their lives from multiple causes have to learn how to grieve well. One of the most toxic emotions of the grief process is anger. And anger, I believe, is a secondary emotion. It's usually triggered by something else first, often pain inflicted upon us or disappointment. And we lash out, directing uh, our pain towards another object. Sadly, sometimes anger is toxic because it's wrongly directed at another person who was innocent, but they happen to be nearby. Sometimes it's our closest family members and friends. Toxic anger can also arise when it's not released and let go of, but nurtured and held on to. And sometimes people direct their anger at God. How dare you, Lord? If you go through that kind of emotion, let me encourage you to not be afraid to tell God you're mad. In fact, there are lots of times in the Bible when people unloaded on the Lord all kinds of negative emotions and God is big enough to handle it and you have not lost your faith if you feel that. But anger is something that cannot be our final stopping point. In fact, like any of the stages of grief, if we get stuck there and don't move on, it will really negatively impact our life. One of the most deadly consequences of unresolved anger is hatred. Let me say as a Christian something that might surprise you. It is okay to hate Satan. 
He is our ultimate enemy. He is unredeemable. But we must not hate any human being. We may be very angry at them for a time. We may oppose them. We may be righteously and justifiably uh, determined to work against them. But we must not hate them with a pure hatred because every human, until they die, is redeemable. And it is possible that God hasn't given up on them. And that in refusing to hate another person, we are choosing to allow God his proper role as the ultimate judge. You and I are not judge, jury, and executioner of any other human being. In a spiritual sense, we must allow God to deal with them and with their souls. Bitterness is another toxic result of grief. The solution, the antidote to the poison of bitterness, in one word, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a tremendously complex process that is one which may need help in getting to. It is such a deep issue that we do not have the time today to drill down into the mine of forgiveness. We'll be talking about that in detail in another of our Life Academy programs for you. But forgiveness is the greatest gift you can give yourself. If you're bitter, nursing anger, even hatred at another person, the only way to cleanse your soul and to move on is to choose to bless yourself by letting go of the past and forgiving them. Now, as we think about the kind of suffering that is common to all people, we embrace the gift God has given to us human beings of a community to support us and care for us. In fact, that's God's purpose for the church, that believers might rejoice with one another when times are good, but weep with one another when times are hard. We are called to bear one another's burdens, to share in the difficulties, and we take turns in life. In a healthy church, there will be times when you are the support giver and times when you need the support and need to give up your pride and be willing to receive the support of others. Being a supporter means that we do not try to offer platitudes, nor fix a problem, nor give pious advice, but rather what we need to give to one another in our times of suffering is to know that we care, our presence, our commitment to that person to be with them and walk alongside them means so much more than any glib answers or any advice that we can offer to them. You know, the greatest Christians of all time include many who have had to suffer tremendously. I think about in the last century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the courageous German pastor who refused to bow the knee to Hitler and compromise the faith of the gospel. And for that, he was thrown in prison as a threat to that totalitarian state and ultimately was executed by the Gestapo less than a month before the end of the war. I think back 20 centuries before to when the apostles Paul and Peter 
were ultimately executed for their faith by the paranoid Roman emperor and his mistaken assumption that the Christians were a threat to his control. There is so much suffering that really devoted Christians have experienced through the years to make us assured that when we suffer, when we go through pain, it is not by any means necessarily because God has abandoned us or is punishing us. Sometimes, in fact, God is preparing us through the hard times and equipping us for something that otherwise we would not be skilled to do. The classic example is the well-known support group Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, a recovering alcoholic who has been sober for five years and humble about the fact that uh, he can never let down his guard is by far a more effective sponsor to a new member of the group just trying to begin to deal with alcoholism far better than I would be as someone who's never been tempted uh, by the stuff. But that person, because he's been there, because he himself has suffered the pain of addiction, he is so much better able to care for and support another going that same path. There are people who have discovered so many profound ministries precisely because they have gone through a difficult time. Discovering God's purpose is he preparing me? Is he teaching me a lesson? Is he using me as a witness to others? Discovering God's actual purpose, as I've said before, is not something that necessarily is apparent when we're going through something. It may only be in hindsight. It may only be partially in this lifetime, but we will understand fully in eternity exactly how everything has worked together for God's purposes. Now, I have not been sharing any verses of the Bible during our discussion of the why questions of life, but I cannot conclude this time without referring to the classic, most profound book on the problem of human, human suffering and pain and evil than the book of Job in the Old Testament. It is an amazing drama that actually takes place on two different planes, the spiritual and the material or physical. Things happen in heaven and things happen down on earth. And those on earth, Job and his friends and family, are clueless to what is going on in the spiritual dimension. Job was a good man, a righteous man, who suffered more setbacks and more problems and more pain than we could ever comprehend. And through this process, he immediately was sent into that grief process that is part and partial of being human. And during the grief process, he went through all the stages, back and forth. And during that time, friends came Initially, they did it right. They just listened and they were there as a presence and as support. After a while, they gave in to that human temptation to try to tell Job their advice and their opinions. And that did not go so well. 
Finally, at the end of the book, Job takes all his complaints and all of his pain and he presents it to God. And he has an encounter with God that is life transforming. And in that, Job does not get the smooth, simple answers to his why questions. But what he gets is exactly what he needed. Job, by the end of the book, discovers that, in fact, the answer to all his questions is God. And having God in his life gives him the peace to deal with everything else. Well, that's a profound lesson for us. And it's one we can cling to. How we human beings wish we knew everything. We've accomplished a lot. The human mind has grown and gained so much in knowledge, but there's so much we don't know. And yet, when we face the sufferings and the unanswerable questions of life, as a believer who has God, the ultimate answer within us, we are able to trust in his character. We are able to be confident that because he sacrificed himself for us, he is right here with us, and we are able to trust him. May God be a very real and constant presence in your life whenever you have to deal with the great why questions.